have you guys here. Thank you. Thanks so much. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys real quick. We love you guys. Grateful for you. About a week, I'll be with you guys. I can't wait to see you guys. Can't wait to hang out and hug your necks and shake your hands and meet your friends. And so it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to come see you, and I'm not even going to have to break the law to see it. So I can't wait to come hang out with you. It's always fun. These guys are they're a blast, by the way. And so when I tease, everyone's like, oh, you're going to fit the guy behind bars. I'm like, they're laughing harder than you are. They're hilarious. They're so much fun. I love that campus. It's just it's really cool what God's doing behind bars. So let's give it up once again for our guys that are serving God behind bars. Pretty cool. So, so let's say our mission statement together before we get started. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for coming out today. I'm excited about this brand new series called Bucket List. A bucket list is anything you want to do before you die, right? Like, man, before I die, I want to do this, do that, right? We have certain things that we've always wanted to do. Some people have written bucket lists well, they wrote them out. Maybe you have it on your phone somewhere or maybe in a journal somewhere where you've written out the things you want to do or the places you want to go or things like that. Or maybe it's kind of unwritten, but you've always wanted to do certain things, uh, have certain things or go certain places. So do me a favor right now. Turn the person around you right now beside you and let them know your bucket list. Just give them two or three things you've always wanted to do. Go ahead and do that. Just let them know right now. Just share your bucket list, all campuses right now. All right. Maybe you've always wanted to go to Paris, you know. Paris, Texas is very beautiful. I think you'll really like it a lot. It's amazing. All right, back up here. All right, back up here. So one of my bucket lists was I want to ski the Swiss Alps. That's one of the things I want to do before I die. I may die doing it, actually. Here it's pretty steep, so I don't know. Uh, maybe for you, you want to live in a gated community. Maybe you want to own a lake house or, or a beach house, or, or maybe uh, you, know, you want to buy a Ferrari or go to the Super Bowl. You know, I'd love for the Texans to go and win the Super Bowl. I may have to live to be about 120 to see this happen, but it's possible, so you never know, right? Uh, so what is it you've always wanted to do? You always wanted to have something like that, right? So people always say, man, before I die, I want to do this. Before I die, I want to do that. Well, let's go ahead and fast forward to your death. Let's just do that real quick. Let's just go fast forward to your death. So now you've died and now you are, you know, laying in the casket and people are gathered at your funeral and they're talking about you. Your kids are talking about you, you know. Man, I, I remember when mom wanted to go to Paris and she finally did. I remember dad always wanted to have that Ferrari and he finally got the car of his dreams. I remember the one time and they really wanted to get that beach house and they finally got the beach house. I, I know that they really wanted to go to the Super Bowl and I'll never forget that trip to the Super Bowl. Now as cool as all that is, when you think about your funeral, and when your kids are talking about you, all that kind of seems a little hollow at that point. You start to realize, well, yeah, I mean, those are cool things, but it's really not that great. But if you think about when you were younger, maybe when you were a kid, I bet you were like me, and, and you, you watched that famous person holding the big check, giving it to some charity, and you thought, one day I want to do that, right? One day I want to be like a philanthropist where I, I really help other people. Or maybe you, you thought, man, one day I want to be someone who just honors God. Wouldn't it be great if at your kids' funerals they said, you know, our mom, she just feared the Lord. She just really did. My dad was just a godly man. Man, my parents just lived miracles. I mean, they saw the hand of God in their life. 
why don't we add something like that to our bucket list today? Wouldn't that be a lot better than just, I went here, I went there, I bought this, I bought that, I did this, I did that experience. But instead, what if on our bucket list it was, I really just want to see a miracle in my life before I die. I just want to experience God the way Elijah did, the way Elisha did, the way that, that David did, the way that Moses did. I mean, just to be the people of God and see the Red Sea part. I want to experience God like that. Maybe that's something you desire. I want to challenge you to add something like that to your bucket list today. In fact, today's message is called, I want to be a part of a miracle. You know, I will tell you that I have been a part of some miracles. I'm going to share some of those in the next few weeks with you. Because really, Church Unlimited is a miracle to me. This was nothing but a dream when my wife and I moved here 20 years ago. And now to look at all these campuses and thousands of people all over South Texas, it is a miracle what God has done out of nothing. It really is. It's amazing. And so I want to unpack a couple things today about how you can begin to live out miracles in your life as well. We all have those bucket list things, but wouldn't it be great if, if, if on your bucket list where I want to be a man or woman of God, I want to see God do things in and through my life that I never dreamed possible. Well, that's exactly what happened with this lady here in First Kings, excuse me, Second Kings chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there or open your Bible app. Second Kings 4 verse 1 on your outlines there. Here's a story. It says, The wife of a man from the, from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Nothing at all except a flask of oil, she replied. So this woman is a, a pastor's wife, a, a shepherd's wife, a, a prophet's wife. And she said, you know, Elisha, my husband, you knew him. He passed away. And now I'm in financial dire straits. I'm in trouble. And, and they're about to come take my boys away and make them work off our debt. And so I'm about to lose my family, about to lose everything, and I want to know what can you do for me? Can you do something about this, right? Now notice she says, my husband revered the Lord, my husband feared God, my husband tried to follow the Lord, and so I really need your help. I think it's important to know that you can appeal to what I call the justice of God, to say, God, I love you and I'm trying to serve you. Could you hook a brother up? Could you hook a sister up? Could you help me out? I'm trying to honor you. Could you, could you help me out? It's okay to do that. It's okay to say, God, I'm really trying to do the right thing. Would you help me? So don't be afraid to, to ask God to help you and appeal to the justice of God because he is a just God and he will help his children. He will help us. And so, so there's nothing wrong with praying a prayer like that. But what happens next in this text is what is downright shocking, if not a bit offensive. In fact, what, what, what she says is kind of commonplace that we all have needs. I mean, here she is, a single mom. She's hurting financially. She needs some help. But it's the prophet's response that, frankly, at first glance, kind of ticks me off. Like, really? That's how you're going to respond to a single mom who's in financial need? So he says to her, how can I help you? So you think, oh, this is great. This is what the church should do. This is what preachers and missionaries and ministers should do, right? Like, how can I help you? What do you need? But then the next thing out of his mouth just doesn't make sense. He says, what do you have? What do you have in your house? Like, I want, I want to get something from you. What do you got? I mean, this, this is someone who has nothing and, and you're asking for something from them. Doesn't that sound a little wrong to you? Like, how can that be right? But unless you know the way God works, then it makes sense. But if you don't understand it, at first glance, it's like, 
Here's a church asking for people who have nothing to give. This woman is totally broke. She can't even pay off her debts, and, and you're asking for something from her. But this is the way God works. God's trying to get something from you so that you can get something from him. In other words, the, the prophet knew that if you'll release what's in your hand towards God, God will release what's in his hand towards you. So this prophet was not trying to get something from her. He was trying to get something to her. But he says, what, what do you have? What do you have in your house? And she says, nothing, but I do have a little bit of olive oil. So doesn't that kind of contradict itself? Like, oh, I have nothing, but I do have some olive oil. Well, then you have something. Isn't it funny how fast when God says, what do you got? Isn't it funny how fast we say to God, nothing. I got nothing for you, God. Sorry, I don't have anything. We are totally uncreative and powerless, it seems like. We act this way when it comes to giving God anything. But when it comes to getting something for ourselves, we're incredibly creative. Like if we want something, oh, it's amazing what we'll do to get it. Right? Don't lie, right? Remember, ladies, when you wanted to get pregnant, you're ready to have sex all the time. Let's go. Come on, baby, right now. You know, I am. Mama's ovulating. Let's go. Let's do this. Right? Wow, it's incredible. Or remember, remember, guys, when you wanted that flat screen TV, man, you would do anything. You're like, okay, what, what, how much is it? Okay, how much cash do I have? And you guys, you said you, I can open an account here and like get like a Best Buy card or something, or I can talk this, or I can, you know, I mean, it's amazing how creative we get when we want that flat screen or that boat or that car or, or that baby or whatever it is that you want. It's amazing how creative we are. But the moment God says, I want something from you, oh, man, I don't have anything. I, there's nothing I can do. I mean, I mean, you got, I, I, ain't, I ain't got nothing, man. I'm not rich like that guy or that girl. I, I don't have anything. It's incredible how we poor boy it with God, as if he doesn't know what we have or don't have. And you say, but wait a minute, this lady really was poor. She was, but, she, but he asked her, do you have anything? And the answer is, yes, we all have something. Well, Pastor, I mean, I hear you talking, but I mean, you know, I, I'm, in, I'm in high school. I don't have anything. All I, all I can do is babysit. I mean, oh, so you have something. You can babysit. That's something you can give to God. Well, I mean, you know, I'm a mechanic. I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot. You know, oh, so you give with your hands? That's something you give to God. See, oftentimes we run to the I have nothing, and God's saying, I don't know about that. I think maybe you do have something to offer. And so I want to challenge you with this. Number one, would you write this down? Never say to God you have nothing to offer God when you do have something. All of us have something that we can offer God. Now, real quick, before we go any further, since we're talking about giving here and being generous a little bit, since it's just touching on it here, I just want to say, this series is really not about money. It's about faith. But I do want to mention something about money, if I can real quick, and just let you know, because I know, you know, everyone loves to come to church and hear preachers talk about money, right? Yeah, right. And so I know that most people don't like that. But let's be honest, at least enough to admit that in the Bible, nine out of 16 of the parables that Jesus told had to do with money. So if you say you want to know Jesus, you want to walk with Jesus, you want to really know him, then you can't skip out half his teaching. Half, literally over half his teaching was on money. Did you know that? Did you know that one out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are on money and possessions? One out of every six. That's a lot of talk about money. Did you know that Jesus talked about money more than heaven and hell? Wow. Why would he do that when he came to give his life for us so that we could go to heaven, why would he spend more time on money? Because he knew that what the hang-up was oftentimes, what was in the balance from heaven and hell were people that held on to the resources so you couldn't get the work of God done. In fact, Jesus actually put it this way one time. When he famously said, where your treasure is, anybody know it? There your heart is also. 
So what you, what you value, what your heart cares for, what you long for, you put your money into it. It's just really true. I thought about that. I was looking at my finances. I thought, man, my heart is with Whataburger. I mean, it really is, apparently. I, it's incredibly devoted. I mean, I had no idea. You know, where your treasure is is where your, your heart is also. Again, this really isn't about money, but I want to challenge you on this to ask the question, why am I so sensitive to that topic? Why do we, why do we get freaked out about this topic? And so we get real cheap with God, but man, we are generous with ourselves. It's funny how that works, man. There's no expense that I will spare to look good clothing-wise, to drive a nice car, to, to have a nice house. But, but when it comes to God, it's incredible how, how cheap we, we tend to get. Never say to God you have nothing to offer uh, to God when you do have something to offer. Now, look what happens next. This is so crazy. This is what Elisha does next. We're about to see a miracle, by the way. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Would you underline that? Are you asking big enough in your life? Or are you asking small? The Bible says you have not because you what? Because you ask not. And so another way of putting that would be that if you have little in your life, you probably ask for little. If you have enough, you probably ask for enough. If you have a lot, you probably ask for a lot. So don't be afraid to ask. Don't ask for just a few. It says, then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. Notice it doesn't say if it gets filled. It says when it gets filled. The reason I want to ask, I want to mention this is because this is very important. Number two, make a big ask of yourself. You got to learn how to make an ask of yourself. I'm very good at this, by the way. My wife says, everywhere you go, you make an ask of yourself. I'm like, I know. I'm not afraid to ask God to do things. I'm not afraid to ask other people to get involved, to make a difference as well. And so make a big ask of yourself. But it says here, once you get all these buckets, go get all your neighbors and ask them for all the buckets they can give you. you know, right? Just line them up like a bucket list. man. Just line up all these buckets everywhere. And what you're going to do is you're going to take the olive oil and you're going to start to pour it out of your flask into the bucket and it's just going to keep flowing and flowing and flowing. When it gets full, move to the next bucket. When that one gets full, move to the next bucket. It doesn't say if it gets full, it says when. The reason I want to mention this is because some of you believe in God for something in your life right now and you're wondering if it's going to happen. And notice how God just assumes it's going to happen because of who he is, not because of who we are. And so it's not... It's not if you're going to get married, it's when you're going to get married. It's not if you're going to get healed, it's when you're going to get healed. It's not if you're going to get a promotion, it's when you're going to get a promotion. It's not if your kids are going to turn around, it's when they turn around. It's not if, it's when. God is going to come through for you. It's not if, it's when. If you'll just obey him, he will come through for you. Make a big ask of yourself. Don't be afraid to do it. Years ago, uh, before we had finished completing the building here at the broadcast campus, we were under construction, and uh, this is over 10 years ago now. Um, the price of steel doubled literally within a month. It was crazy. It, it doubled overnight. And so I don't know if you notice this building that we're in is 95,000 square feet of a steel building. So our, our price went through the roof. It was like, this is a problem. And we were faithful to God. People were sacrificing giving. We're in the middle of a three-year giving campaign. And so we were doing everything we could, trying to honor God with our resources. And people were sacrificing. And yet we still lacked the money because of the, of the massive jump in the price of steel. And so you ever been where, like, you're doing everything God asked you to do and, you, and you're still stuck? Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, wow, I'm trying to do everything I can, God. I'm really trying to honor you. And yet I'm still stuck. That's where I was. I was like, this is so frustrating. We're just, we're out of money now. We borrowed everything we can borrow from the bank. We're, we're giving everything we can give. And we are still several million dollars shy of being able to complete this building. In fact, we were, we were told by our builders, said, hey, look, if we can't get another payment, you're about six weeks away from us pulling all the guys off of this building project. You're going to have a half-empty building. I mean, we were like, are, are you kidding me? 
Like that is my worst nightmare, right? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I went to this conference in California. I'd flown out there with several staff members, and we're flying back, and I talked to my mentors, and I was under this great pressure, this great weight of, of leadership of trying to figure out how do we do this, and I felt really bad. I was like, how do I go to people that are already sacrificing and ask them to increase their sacrifice? You know, I felt really bad, like ethically, like, is this even right, God? I feel bad, you know, but I went to all my mentors. They said, you got to go back to the people and tell them where you're at, tell them what's going on, and then trust the Lord that he'll come through. So that was my plan. I was going to fly back into town, and that weekend, I was going to talk about it and challenge people, that kind of thing. So we're flying in from California, and on the way back, we go through Houston. If you've ever flown the Corpus, you know you can't just go direct, right? So uh, you always have to go to Dallas or Houston. That's kind of the, the typical path. And so I'm flying through Houston. So we land in Houston. We have to change planes and, and then come to Corpus. This is Friday night. I have church Saturday night. So Friday night, uh, they had some wind issues, some, some weather issues, which is not uncommon in Houston. And so they were like, oh, yeah, the 7 o'clock flight has been canceled, but there's still room on the 8 o'clock. You can probably get on that one. I was like, okay, so now I'm scrounging to make sure we can get on it because i got to be back to preach this because I really can't just let someone else get up and preach this. This is something as a leader that I'm supposed to lead in. And I was like, okay, i got to be there. And so uh, the 8 o'clock gets canceled. There's like just a few flights left. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Now there's a 9 o'clock flight. They're like, okay, there's a little bit of room. You can go on standby. You should be able to get there. I was like, okay. So we kind of had a plan with the team. Like, you know, if there's only one flight, only one ticket, get, let Bill get on, and we'll come up later. That we can preach, that kind of thing. So we're trying, just trying to figure it out. And so 9 o'clock gets moved to 10 o'clock. Then it gets canceled. So they just keep canceling flight after flight. You ever been there? I mean, this is just not, so this is not a fun night. You've ever been stuck in an airport? That is a great test of your Christianity, right, Terry? I'm just telling you right now. I was not feeling like Pastor Bill. I was frustrated. I'm tired. It's 10 o'clock. You know, they, they canceled that flight. There's an 11 o'clock. This is our last flight. They push the 11 o'clock till, till midnight now. And so by this time, people are, are, are calling all the rental car companies. They're getting all the rental cars and driving the Corpus, which we had thought about as well. And so we were on the phone trying to see if there's any cars left. And so you know, I'm just frustrated. I've got, got several team members with me. I'm just, I'm just put out. I'm like, oh, this is just so frustrating. I've got, all, I've got to raise this money. And I don't know where the money's going to come from. And God, I can't even get home. I mean, could you at least let me just get a flight? I mean, I just, this is what's going on in my mind. I'm just so frustrated. I'm just flustered, right? So Kathy Harwick was with us, her and her husband, they went on their trip with us uh, to California. And so, and Kathy's a chatterbox fan, she'll talk to anybody, meet anybody, it's a really great quality. And so she sits down, she starts having this conversation, her and her husband, with this guy that's also trying to get to Corpus Christi. He's not from there, but he was coming down here for business and he couldn't get a flight. So they strike up a conversation and she's like, oh yeah, we're in the ministry, what do you do? And he's talking to her, this and that, and I'm just going, huh? You know, and I don't really, you know, I'm, I'm like, whatever. And so I'm, I'm just being honest, okay? I'm not, you know... I'm not really having a good night. You know, I'm just, I'm frustrated, I'm tired, and I'm really under a lot of stress. And so, you know, I'm like, what's going to happen here? And there's, there's, you know, we get to midnight, and then they tell us, well, we're going to cancel that flight too. So now we've waited all night for a flight that never, it was just like a mirage. Every time we get closer, and then it just vanishes. Like, ugh. And so now it's, it's past midnight. It's like 1230 at night, and we call the rental car companies, all of them, and all the cars are rented. So we're like, great, I am literally stuck in a Houston airport, can't get home, I have no idea where this money's gonna come from, I'm so frustrated. And again, Kathy's talking up with this guy, and you know, she's like, Pastor, you gotta meet our pastor, Pastor Bill, this is so-and-so. And I'm like, hey, hey, nice to meet you. So <laughs> we're just, I sit down, I don't wanna talk, I'm frustrated, I'm just, I'm under a lot of pressure, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And this guy looks at me and says, so I hear you're a preacher. I was like, yeah, I'm a preacher. And so he says, that's great. He says, you know, I'm an elder at my church in Arkansas. I was like, oh, good for you. You know, like, in other words, like, can we just not talk? You know, I, did, I just was not in the mood to talk, you know. And so he's like, well, you know, I'm an elder in our church. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then he says, hey, um, 
have you ever been in like a giving campaign before? And I was like, yeah, I have. And right then, God begins to speak to me. And I was like, oh, God, you got to be kidding me. You have me stuck in this airport to talk to this guy. And so he says, yeah, we're in the middle of a giving campaign. And there's this really cool thing that God did at our last church that, like, that we heard about. And then God, there's a story that, that happened uh, a couple towns over. We heard about it. It inspired all of our people to give. And God did some pretty miraculous things. You want to hear about it? I was like, yes, yes, I do. I want to hear your story. So I went from totally uninterested to completely enthralled. I was like, yes, I want to hear your story. Praise the Lord. Praise Jesus. Yes. I'm a Christian. Yes. Yes, please. Let me hear your story. So then he says, yeah, there's this couple that goes to our church, and they told the story about what happened in their last church because they're from a couple towns over in a place called Bentonville, Arkansas. You ever heard of it? I was like, yeah. And he says, yeah, that's the home of, of Walmart. Like, that's their headquarters. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. He says, well, this couple was telling us a story that happened in their church where another couple had somehow finagled a meeting with Sam Walton before he died. I was like, oh, that's cool. He says, yeah, so they went in to meet with him to ask him if he would consider giving something towards their giving campaign, their, their, their building emphasis that they needed to build this building. They were out of space. And he says, so they met with Sam Walton. I was like, oh, really? What happened? He said, well, you know, Sam's a Christian. I was like, I, I had heard that. I heard that he was a believer, you know? And he's like, oh, yeah, big time, big church guy, faith guy, love to give. I was like, huh, that's really cool. He said, yes, yeah. so this couple ended up in the meeting with him. They walked in, they sat down real nervous. And then he began telling the story that Sam was turned around and he was working on something. He said, oh, yeah, y'all come in and have a seat. And he was finishing up stuff and he turned around, he spinned around in his chair and he says, hi, I'm Sam Walton. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Shook their hands. He says, what can I do for you? They were like, oh, well, sir. Um, and as he was talking, he'd taken a check and folded it in half and put it in his pocket. And he said, what can I do for you? He says, well, uh, you know, we had heard that you are a believer. And he goes, absolutely. I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. Love to give. Love to help. What can we do? Oh, well, uh, we were thinking that, you know, we're, we go to such and such church and we're in a building campaign right now and we need to build this building. It'd be pretty amazing if you'd consider helping out. He goes, yep, how can I help you? What do you need? Oh, uh, well, uh, they didn't know he was going to be this direct. So they're like, uh, it'd be pretty awesome if you'd maybe consider giving a, like a lead gift of maybe a quarter of a million dollars to this. He goes, is that what you need? Yes, sir. That's, that'd be great. Okay. Spins around, grabs his checkbook, spins back around his chair, puts his checkbook down, opens it up, begins to write a check to the church for a quarter of a million dollars. Tears it off. True story. And hands it to him. Says, thanks for coming by. They're just, they're, they're totally blown away, of course. And then he takes the check out of his pocket and he begins to rip it up. And they're like, ah, just thank you. This is amazing. We're just curious. What, what was... What was on that? What was, what was that check? He goes, oh, well, that was a check I'd written for a million, but you said you didn't need that. <laughs> I'm sitting in Houston at 1230 at night talking to a guy I don't know, and God spoke to me in that moment. That's why I was stuck, so he could tell me, don't ask for what you think you can get. Ask for what you need. <laughs> ask for what you need. Then the guy tells me, pretty cool story, huh? I was like, yes, very cool story. Thank you for sharing that with me. I will be probably telling our people about that story, which I did. 
the next day, by the way, that guy worked for an oil company. And he said, hey, listen, I have a driver coming. I was like, a dr- like you're renting a car? And he goes, no, I have a driver. I was like, oh, nice. You definitely work for an oil company. He goes, yeah, the driver's going to drive me all the way to Corpus Christi. Why don't you just come with us? So he gave us a ride to Corpus Christi so the next day I could preach his message. And then that weekend, I shared that story. That was my lead story that weekend. And then God proceeded to do a miracle that is the greatest miracle we've ever seen at Church Unlimited. And I'm going to save that story for next week. You're going to want to be here for that. Don't miss that story. But God spoke to me in that moment saying, ask for what you really need. Number two, make a big ask of yourself. You know, we are going into a giving emphasis as a church for the next month. And, and uh, at the end of this month, I'm going to ask you to prayerfully consider what God would have you do above and beyond your tithe. It's, the, it's our second annual All Things New offering. We used to do three-year campaigns occasionally. Now, We've been, we felt led by our mentors and other leaders to say we should really shift as a church to, a, to an offering mindset, which is like a once a year or twice a year type of thing. We just do it once here a year, an all things new offering. And so I'm going to ask not for what I think we can get, but for what we need and just believe God for that. And so we are currently building two facilities right now. One is in San Antonio, Texas. I want to show you the building real quick. It's a beautiful facility. This is going up right now, right off of Highway 281 in Stone Oak. It's currently underway. And so you can't see a building erected yet. It's not happening that fast, but they're clearing the ground, preparing it. There's been some rain, as you well know. So there's some slowdown on that. But also at the same time we're doing this, we're also building, and I should say not just building, but rebuilding our Rockport facility as well, which we're very excited about. Yeah. We're excited to do that. It wouldn't take faith, honestly, for us to build one or the other. But it takes a lot of faith for us to build both at the same time and to believe God for that. And so we need $3.4 million. We have already borrowed money to the tune of about $10 million from our bank to be able to to build the facilities. But both facilities combined is about $13 million. So we actually need about $3.4 million million dollars. Now, before I go any further, we actually need 13.4 million. I mean, honestly, you really want to know the real number. It'd be great to not even have to take that loan. And so, but that's what would get us uh, into these, these facilities. So, so we designed a building. The reason we're, only, we're not building yet in Rockport is not because we're not trying, but Rockport, the city is just slower because obviously what they've been through. And so they've been amazing to work with, by the way. So this is not a complaint at all. They've been phenomenal, but it's been a lot tougher because they're just now getting on their feet after a year. And so from Hurricane Harvey, but we presented a building to them and I didn't realize this for our facility that we used to have before the storm took it out was in the historic district, which means that when you rebuild something or build something for the first time, it has to match all these, these higher level criteria. So we had this building designed. It was, it's designed to be a bit economical as well because it is a smaller town, but still a nice facility. This is what we designed. Uh, so that's what we had designed. And I presented this to the, the historic district committee at Rockport. And one of the guys immediately said on the microphone, that building looks like crap. And I was like, oh, okay, tell me how you feel. Like, don't hold back. I was like, wow. It's like, wow, I feel like I'm in high school dating again. This is unbelievable. I mean, just, wow, there it is. And so, anyway, so I was like, okay. And so they said, man, there's nothing to that. We, we, you know, this historical district wants to be nicer, this and that. I was like, okay, all right, listen, we, we want to we wanna match the standards that you're, that you're shooting for here. We get it. So we went back to the architect. Our architect, by the way, is an amazing guy uh, at a college station. Their company has chosen, but they, they designed this building, and they've designed all our buildings, and they've chosen for Rockport to, to design it for free for us, which is an incredible gift. That's a very expensive gift they're giving us, designing 
the Rockport campus. Yeah, it's a great, it's Betcher Architects, great people. So, so they're designing that. So, so he said, I went back to him and said, man, I know you already designed this, but it wasn't accepted like this. He goes, don't worry about it. He goes, I'll be glad to do a rework. He goes, I know you want to keep costs down. Let me see if I can do some minimal stuff where we make it look a little nicer, but keep the cost down. I was like, okay, that'd be great. So then we have a second rendition. This is what we came up with. And so, so then we came up with this building here. So my wife says to me, when she sees it, she says, I don't know how you did it, honey, but somehow you made the building uglier. I don't know how you pulled that off. <laughs> I was like, ouch, honey, this is really hurt. She goes, Bill, that looks like a garage. Like I'm gonna get my car worked on. I was like, so Jessica says, <laughs> and again, this isn't the fault of the architect. They were trying to keep costs down and I appreciate that, I really do, you know. And so, but then Jessica says, can I get involved? I was like, absolutely, babe, because when she gets involved, things get nicer real fast. And so she just makes things really awesome. She's really creative and she's got a great eye. And so, I mean, other than her choice in men, she's got really good taste and so, <laughs> I was like, please get involved, that'd be awesome. So she does, and when Jessica gets involved, things get really cool, and so this is what she came up with. Isn't that awesome? So she made it into basically a coastal building. It's really pretty, and also, uh, you can't quite see it in all these renderings, but on the inside, it's all white now. It's going to be really pretty with gigantic windows on both sides of the auditorium. Basically, we are building a wedding chapel that we will also do church in. And so we're going to actually have a, a place where people can get married uh, right on the water, basically not right beside the water. It's about a block off. So it's just going to be simply gorgeous. Isn't that pretty? I love that night shot of it. It's going to be just gorgeous. So we're excited about building it. The cost went up a little bit, but not much. It really didn't. And so we're being very economical, but we want to make it quality as well. So these are the two big projects we have. We have some other things wrapped into the project as well. We need to do some upgrades to our, our broadcast facility and technology a little bit, some things like that. But those are minor compared to the whole uh, enchilada, to the whole picture of it. So, but that's what we need, and we're believing God for that. And I wanted to present that to you. And we're just, you say, well, Pastor, I feel like the widow. I don't have anything to offer. Well, actually, the widow had some oil. So, you know, I think it's interesting, too, by the way, that how many miracles in the Bible are tied to oil? I find it interesting in South Texas, don't you? That oftentimes the people closest to the oil are the ones who can be a part of a miracle. So just wanted to throw that out, too, that uh, apparently God uses that in a powerful way. All throughout Scripture, by the way. I mean, he should use it. He made it. So it's, it's his oil. He made it. So look at 2 Kings 4, verses 5. It says this. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. So he says, Hey, now that you have honored me by giving the first portion of what you do have, I've blessed you. Beyond that, sell what you need, and you can pay all your debts, and you can live on the rest after that. This is clearly a miracle. Number three, the miracle of God in your life is only limited by your own faith. You know that the moment that that oil stopped flowing on that last jar, you know the first thought she had was, why didn't I get more jars? Right? Wouldn't that be your first thought? Ah, I should have got more jars. I really believe in this principle, by the way, in every area of your life. I believe that, you know, God bless you with one rental house and you have a renter and so that's flowing, then why don't you have 10 or 100 or 1,000? God bless you with one territory doing well in your sales team, why don't you have a, a second territory or a third or a fourth? Well, why are we limiting ourselves to one jar, to one 
bucket. I've found that if I'll open a campus, be strategic, and we've learned some lessons, and not all of them have gone perfect. I don't want to imply that. But if we begin with wisdom to open campuses, I believe that everyone we open, God will fill. I believe that. And we've seen the Lord do that. Again, not everything works out perfect. I don't want to give that impression. Some have not. But by and large, God has blessed this concept of simply opening up more buckets so he can fill them. And so let me ask you a question. Do you have a problem in your life now that you're trying to get an answer to? Do you have a situation you don't, you don't know what to do about? Could I ask you this? Could you be applying a two-bucket faith to a ten-bucket problem right now? Maybe it's time to increase your buckets of faith. We need to get our faith up and believe God for more. God, there's so much he wants to do in your life, but we have to get our faith. See, this isn't about money today. This is about faith. What is it that your faith is lacking? You've been asking to get by. Oh, God, just help me get by. And the Lord answers that prayer. I mean, I'll help you get by. But you know you're asking God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God doesn't own a thousand cattle on a hill. That's a lot. He owns cattle on a thousand hills. That's a lot of hamburger meat. God has all you need and more. Quit shortchanging God by asking for too little. Start asking God for some big things. Instead of saying, God, I don't have anything, say, God, I'm going to ask you for something so I can do something big. You'll begin to do that. God will begin to do new things in and through you. Today, we're not doing a special offering. I don't want you to get that impression. We're not. That's not, that's not what today's about. Today is about this. Will you offer yourself up to God? Will you say, Lord, all I have is yours? And I think God may stir in you by the end of this month to do something, but that's not my call. That's between you and the Lord. I'm just supposed to bring the word God gave me to give you. So my prayer today is, would you pray this prayer with me, this bold prayer? Would you make this your prayer? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you pray something like this? It just says, God, I give you me. All I have, all I am is yours. See, it's a scary prayer to pray because you never know what God's going to ask for. I mean, God, all I have is <laughs> a little oil. Okay, I'll take that. I can work with that. I can work with that small piece of obedience, that small commitment. If you'll just give me that, I can do something big. Because see, it wasn't a small commitment because she didn't have anything else. So she was committing all, everything she had to God. I mean, what kind of God asks someone broke to give? The kind of God who's trying to not get something from you, but get something to you. That's why he does that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe today you've never trusted your life in Christ's hands. See, the, God is an incredible giver. In fact, for God so loved the world, he so loved you that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him Republican or Democrat, black or white, Hispanic or Asian or Indian, so that whoever believes in him, morally upright, immoral, sleeping around, staying faithful, whether you go into the clubs or you work at the clubs, that's so that whoever calls on his name will receive him. Whoever. Maybe today you're that whoever. God. You can't love me. I've done too much. And God says, oh, that's why I came. I sent my son because I do love you. 
He died and he rose again. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you pray the simple prayer? You can receive Christ right now. You can say, dear Jesus, thank you that you died for me. You gave your life for me and you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray, amen. Isn't God good?